Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we make families the best they can be. In this series of Figuring Out Families that we are calling The Parenting Sessions, we speak to leading experts to give practical, real-world advice to help you grow healthy, well-balanced children and make your life as a parent or grandparent a little easier. I'm David Ahern. I hope you enjoy. I'm delighted to welcome back Dr. Robin Mills to this Parenting Sessions podcast. Robin has worked in the health field for 47 years in areas such as psychology, nursing and natural medicine. She's also a co-founder of Win Win Parenting, along with Dr. Rosina McAlpine. Today we're talking about the special love grandparents have for their grandchildren and how they can teach a child about love. So who better than Robin to talk on this topic, as she's a grandmother of five, almost six, I believe. Welcome back, Robin. Thank you very much. I certainly count myself lucky. Grandchildren, it's the gift that your children give back to you. Um, I'm so lucky because in about three weeks, I'll have my sixth grandchild. So she's on the way. I love that we already know that she's going to be a girl. Just oh, melt your heart and enrich your life, um, David, in just ways you wouldn't expect. Sounds gorgeous. So a girl coming up. So how many boys and how many girls So amongst your grandchildren? Well, three of each. Wow. That's uh, very well planned on your part. <laughs> <laughs> it is well planned. Oh, that's great. Oh, well, that's uh, all the best for the next three weeks. That's, uh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Now, Robin, um, as we've discussed, you have a few grandchildren, almost six, so you're certainly uh, well-versed and well-positioned to talk about uh, the loving relationship between grandparents and their grandchildren. Oh, thank you. I just love the fact that I'm in a place in my life where I can teach them something and where I'm conscious about what I want to teach them. It makes it way more meaningful because you don't think that you need to teach love but in actual fact, teaching love makes it deeper for children. And we all know that the love of a child begins really early on when the mother or father are having eye contact while they're feeding them. And that beautiful time in life when you're engaging, good not to be on the telephone while you're um, breastfeeding or while you're engaging with the baby. Likewise, the grandparent can be totally present, you know, without any distractions and smiling at the baby before they can even smile back to you. So I'm saying that it can begin as early as birth and giving that child another pair of safe arms to be nurtured in when the mum's busy or just when you want to really take in some of that unconditional love that a baby has to give. I think the fun begins from the beginning, David. Okay, so you're really talking about very, very early on, soon after the baby's born. Immediately, immediately. I think they wow. can feel that love and know that energy and um, that nurturing, that safe, that really safe feeling that it is when you're in, in someone's arms being hugged. Okay. So grandparents, uh, as many of us know, play a very important role in the life of a child. How can they help teach their grandchild to show love, respect, compassion, sharing, kindness, those sorts of things? I love this question because there's so many ways through the different ages. So, for example, for my three-year-old granddaughter, I taught her really early on to sign I love you. And the, the end of the sign is pointing at each other and go, I love you. 
And of course, she can't say you, so she goes, Lou, I love Lou. And, it's, and then we <laughs> laugh and, and it brings joy. And it started a game that now is a way that we say hello and goodbye to each other. It's like our special call sign, I love you. So beginning that, that early. And we have a stethoscope. And so we listen to our heartbeats. And we talk about every other person having a heartbeat that's the same. And they, she just loves it. In fact, all my grandchildren have really loved playing with the stethoscope and hearing the heartbeat. But what they don't know is what we're developing is this um, belief that we're all connected to each other, that we're part of humanity, and that our hearts all beat the same. So in a fun way, we're connecting to humanity. Okay. Well, you've you mentioned one way of how love can be taught in a fun way. Are there other ways as well, or is it up is it up to grandparents perhaps to come up with their own little uh, little ways, as you mentioned? Well, I don't mind sharing mine, but of course, everyone's going to have different ways, aren't they? So, my five year old grandson, um, when he was five, he used to love to play with the iPhone. So, one day we decided to play with the timer, and we set it for five minutes. And we had what we term a five-minute hug. So he would just lie in my arms and I would just hold him for five minutes. Now he's 11 and we still have five-minute hugs. We just don't set the clock anymore. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing because he is the most loving child and he will just have a hug. He will just lie in your arms and have a hug. And I did make him promise that no matter how old he gets, he'd still hug me. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, some children are more huggy than others, aren't they? Uh, some children naturally sort of a little bit reticent, but it is lovely when you get to grandkids that uh, really like to hug. It's fantastic. And I make sure, um, David, that I use the love word in all our conversations where it's appropriate so that, you know, anyone can say I love you, and, in fact, people do and they're still mean to each other. But when you say, I love you from the deepest part of your heart, um, it's really special. So what I get them to do is to really feel that love by also showing them the meaning because even if they behave, you know, perhaps not the best or not the way you want to, um, love's not conditional on that, is it? It's um, you want to ask them, is their behaviour moving them towards being a loving human being or away from it? That's when they're a little bit older. And at the same time, teaching them that it's okay for people to make mistakes while learning, but always when you're making a decision, is it moving you towards the person that you want to be or away? And, of course, a loving human being is always able to say sorry. And as oh. adults, I think that we should um, say this all the time to kids easily. Oh, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Oh, how am I going to fix this? And really authentically, because mirror neurons, mirroring the adults around you is the best way of learning, David. No, absolutely right. And uh, love is obviously very important, as you've mentioned a few times in some of our podcasts already, but also saying sorry. Some people find it very hard to say sorry. <laughs> they do find it hard to say sorry. And Perhaps over periods of my lifetime, I've struggled to say sorry too. But in this part of my life, it's really easy. Funny as we change over time, isn't it? 
Well, it is, and we we get older and wiser, or, or most of us do. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've changed too, and I say uh, I can say sorry much more easily now than I could obviously when I was a teenager. Because when you're a teenager, you never think you're wrong. <laughs> it's so true, and often you think the world's against you as well. You know, it, there's a lot of things that um, a teenager goes through that it it would be handy for us to remember what we were like at that time. Yeah, no, exactly right. It would, it, and you're relaying these stories to your grandchildren uh, is a wonderful way of doing it. Now, Robin, you did mention um, some fun ways. I imagine parents have got all sorts of wonderful ideas uh, that they could come up with uh, to teach their uh, grandchildren love. Well, I'm imagining and I'm really hoping that the people that are listening are going, oh, I could do this or I could do that or that they're actually being inspired and sparked to um, think about ways. You know, also you could go for love walks. So this would be um, going on a walk and seeing where you can see where love exists. So you might see someone scratching the tummy of a dog or um, you might see kids giggling as they're running up and down um, the sand dunes. You know, I walk on the beach, so the beach is appropriate for me. You might see people holding hands or, you know, just nurturing each other in some way. So actually. You can see love when you go for a walk. Well, you can see it in the birds and the trees too, really. If you want to expand your horizons, there's probably no shortage of ways of seeing love. Exactly. That's exactly right. That it's everywhere. When you look for it in no matter whether it's the animal kingdom, the human kingdom, wherever you look for it, you can see it. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Uh, Robin, is it? possible to overload a child with too much love? <laughs> well, I hope not because I believe there's never going to be too much love in the world. Um, I think what people worry about is that when you talk about love, you're going to make people selfish in some way. But I like to say people are self-full. When you're full of love, you can give love to others and receive love more easily. And mindfully, um, it comes with compassion and understanding and community and humility. It's not um, that love where people go, this is mine and I love it and I'm going to have it, and that's not love. Love is compassion, understanding. It's all those beautiful things that we would want our grandchildren to be. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think you're always learning. I think I'm still learning about love. I'm in my 60s now, and uh, it's one of those things you really never stop learning about, I don't think. It's a beautiful thing to be in your 60s. <laughs> I know <laughs> I know this intimately well. Um, yeah. And it's true. I think I'm more, um, I'm kinder, more generous. I'm a bit softer around the edges and I don't react as quickly as I would have in my earlier days. So I think being 60 is a more settled time in your life when life's going pretty well and it's easier to love because you're not under that same pressure that, um, the younger people with young children are under. Well, that's exactly right. You don't have the financial pressures either of a new home, mortgage, young children. I mean, when you think about it, it's a very um, difficult time for a lot of families. And, of course, people used to live in extended families. So they'd have grandparents living in the house who were sharing the load. So life's changed a lot since then. The pressures seem to be a lot more now than I remember as a child. Yeah, I think that's true too. And uh, back in the 90s when we had a couple of young kids and a new home and, uh, 
yeah, it's a work, you know, I used to start work at 6.37 a.m. and get home about 5.36 p.m. And when I look back and I think, goodness gracious, it's a wonder I didn't have a breakdown. Yeah, that's so much pressure, isn't it? And you just keep pushing day after day. And I think what this generation is better at is making sure they include time for themselves so that um, life doesn't pass them by. You hear about so many people who get to retirement and then they don't get to enjoy it. So on the way, actually enjoying that time, I think for me, looking at my own children, they're much better at that, even though some of them stay in toxic environments longer than they really should or could. Um, they're better at looking after themselves, getting away for a break, going out to the movies, doing things like that, David. Yeah, so true. It's about being kind to yourself. That's what I tell my children at times. That you, Sometimes things seem, uh, the problems just uh, stack up and you can't see a way through, but you've got to be kind to yourself because we all go through good times and bad times. Well, we certainly do go through good times and bad times. And I hope that um, the next generation can be even better at looking after themselves than even this generation is. There's got to be that balance between um, being responsible and getting a roof over your head and actually looking after yourself and the people around you with kindness. And you can only do that if, you, if you're not overworked and you have the ability to be patient and kind. But when you're stressed and you're running from pillar to post trying to get things done, um, it, there's not a lot of room left for people to have that patience that you need. No, that's true. And stress does terrible things to people. I've worked with people in stressful work environments in the past and reasonable people, but when they're under enormous stress, they do unreasonable and say unreasonable things. And uh, stress is one of, the, one of the worst things that you can have as an individual, I think. It's so true. And, um, you know, I've definitely worked in toxic environments over my lifetime that I should have left earlier. And, you know, when I think back, I think I didn't like my behaviour either. That when you are in a toxic environment or pushing yourself, you can behave in ways that just aren't true to the person that you want to be. Yeah, no, good point, Robin. Now, a grandparent, um, how can a grandparent help or teach a child when a new sibling comes along? I mean, you can have that with young families. A, a new child comes into the home and uh, they have sibling rivalries and all sorts of issues arise. What role can a grandparent play in helping the situation, do you think? Oh, I've certainly um, actually seen children try to harm the baby because they're so um, resentful of the child coming in. And there is a lot that we can do to begin that preparation. And, of course, this is perfect for me right now because I have a three-year-old um, grandchild that's about to have another um, sibling. So it's been really in the front of my mind. So this is the perfect question for me. So thank you. Um, so involving the child in the preparation along the way. So we've been getting out the bassinet and instead of going, don't touch that, that's for the baby, um, she's allowed to put her dolls in there and to nurture them and to pat them on the bottom and to tell them it's okay. And then we got out the pram and she was allowed to wheel her dolls around in the pram. We've got out the clothes early and said to her, look at this, you had this pretty pink dress on when you were a baby, showing her the photo and then saying, you know, the baby's going to be able to wear this now. It's really engaging her and putting the clothes away and getting the nappies out. 
everything that's being prepared along the way, she's been allowed to fold things or put them away. And, of course, she's put them away in a messy way. (laughs) You know, that hasn't really mattered. I'm really proud of how my daughter's totally engaged her in being a big sister and a big brother before they even come and sharing that experience with her along the way. Like we take her shopping and she gets to choose something for the baby. You know, do we need a bib or do we need a dummy or all those sorts of things. And this week they'll put the car seat in so that she gets used to that second seat in the back. It's And my friend Rosina had an amazing um, suggestion that she's given to people over years and that is that you buy a present from the baby to the toddler and it's something that they can play with. Um, while the mother's feeding the baby or the father's feeding the baby. And Mm. um, it's like the baby's giving you this present so that you have something to play with and when she's old enough to play with you, you'll be able to play with it together. So isn't that a beautiful idea? That's a win-win parenting special from Rosina. Um, Great idea. uh, It's just, and it's, it's certainly she's had a lot of really positive feedback over the time. So it's more about involving and making it a normal part of what's to come that's that's what that whole um description's really about david okay no that's wonderful it's it's involving the the child and not ignoring them i think that'd be the worst thing you could do saying little johnny or little mary you can't go near the baby you've got to be careful and putting them to one side would be the worst thing you could do i imagine yes and of course, there needs to be guidance. We don't want children hit on the head with another doll. Or no, know. no, <laughs> true. There's guidance, but when they ask for a hug, letting them hold the baby and hug the baby like as much as possible, um, and, and safely sharing the love with the baby because and the words like you know this baby loves you, whatever the baby's name is. Let's call the baby Emily. Emily really loves you, and, and this is how we look after her to make her. To keep her safe so that when she grows up she can be playing with you yeah yeah and i mean you're teaching the other child or the other children about love and respect too from a very early age as well which can only be a good thing it can only be a good thing and i think respect is such a an important word because without respect there can't be love you can hear people go i love you i love you but then if they're mean after that and I think teenagers are a really good example of that, aren't they? They can say, you're my best friend, I really love you, and then the next day they can be saying, um, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. So that respect, knowing what the other person's feeling, being able to talk about your feelings, that can start this early. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Now, Robin, how can games be incorporated to teach love and compassion? You have touched on upon this. So can you expand a little more? Well, certainly, um, compassion and love go together. So compassion for others is a really wonderful trait, and you can teach this also from early on. Often parents find this difficult, especially when children are going through that development stage of me, me, me. There's certainly developmental stages when the child's just learning about themselves and it's all about them. But it doesn't mean that you can't get their bubba and hold the bubba and go, oh, bubba's upset, she needs a hug. Or, you know, we get the Band-Aids out. Now, I know you shouldn't waste Band-Aids, but bubba's always hurting her knee or her ankle or something and 
we have to put the Band-Aid on. Sometimes we have to ring the doctor and tell the doctor that the baby's hurt their knee. So that's that caring and that already teaching what do you do when someone's hurt? How do you fix them? You cuddle them, put a Band-Aid on. Sometimes you use magic cream. So in those games that you're playing with children, it's about teaching compassion in the games. So when you're playing games that someone has to be a winner, you know, winner and then someone gets disappointed and someone loses, I think that's moving away from the compassion. If someone has to win, then here's a possibility for teaching children, um, oh, let's, let's give him a hug. That's great that he won. Good on him. Really good. So teaching people to be gracious and rather than the word loser, um, talking about the person that's actually got there first. I think that, so in all games, I'm saying, David, in all games, there's a possibility of an opening to teach compassion, understanding, and to allow others to flourish. I think that's a really important thing. And I'm not sure if it comes under compassion. Mm. Oh, but it's got to have a place, doesn't it, where you don't feel like a loser if someone else is um, flourishing. No, no, that, that's a very good point. I mean, we from the early age, uh, whether it be races at school or whatever, there will be a winner, but the, the term loser has never sat comfortably with me. There, there, there'll be a winner and you congratulate the person who comes first, but uh, just competing, I think so it's a wonderful thing. Yep. And I, what I notice in my um, grandchildren's groups now is that they, when they've won or when they're, they're finished, they stop and they clap all the people that come behind them. Oh, that's great. Isn't that's that a, a wonderful way. thing? That's another way to, you know, even though they might be coming last in the race, they've actually finished the race and they're welcomed with a clap by everyone else. That's the way to help people flourish. Because certainly children want to run and they want to be first and they want to be all those things. But I think it's a great opportunity for the other children to, you know, one way, David, they'd be saying, I won, I won, I got first, look at this. But in this way, they've got their first ribbon, they feel really proud of that, and they're encouraging every other child to get over the line. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's a wonderful thing. And that certainly didn't really happen when I was growing up many years ago. But um, I, I, I think that is a wonderful way of. Uh, uh, dealing with those situations and encouraging children to compete. And we're, we're not all going to be the fastest runner in the world or the best high jumper or the best public speaker. That's not what life's all about. But uh, just competing, I think, is a wonderful thing. And certainly for me, I had a twin, have a twin brother. So we had so much competition. Everything was about a competition. Who could run faster? Who could kick the ball, football faster? you know, who could, whatever it was, it was always a competition. And I had to work really hard not to have my relationships be in competition, not to always think someone had to be first and someone had to be second. So um, growing up in a family where you have someone that's that close that's in competition um, re really shapes you into that. You have to take that shape away and be the person that you want to be. Yes, no, very good point, Robin. So it's it's true to say really that uh, when love is the first response, life is easier and more meaningful for the whole family? It certainly is, isn't it? When you um, have a family that loves each other, then, then 
anger because you can't be in a loving space and angry at the same time. You're either one thing or the other. And true anger is only going to last less than 90 seconds. So even if something happens and you feel angry, you can slip back into love really easily and really quickly. It's not about denying all the other emotions, but rather being able to move back. And when you're in a loving family, you're role modeling the response of love first. So a silly example, you know, would be if someone drops a glass on the floor and it breaks into a thousand pieces. Now, if you're under pressure and frustrated as a parent, you might easily go, oh, I don't have any time. Why is that glass broken? Now I've got to clean it up, you know, move back. I told you not to have it close to the edge of the table, all the things you and I would know really well. But if you were in a space where you were loving and kind and you weren't as frustrated by it, you'd say, please step back. I don't want you to cut your feet. Now let's get it and clean it up. I'll get the um, brush and you can get the shovel and we'll clean it up together. So then there's no guilt. The child doesn't have guilt, is not building up on the bad person or I'm always doing the wrong thing or I've made another mistake. In a loving family, you're responding um, to critical situations with ease and grace. And I think that ease and grace sets up a beautiful pattern for a family. Yeah, no, so, so true. Robin, um, sadly, some children don't grow up in a loving environment. Uh, are there things they can do um, later in life to create love or to open their hearts to love? Oh, I believe it's never, never too late to know love and to experience love. And certainly it might be harder for some people. They might need to unpack some of the automatic responses if they've built up over time. You know, that prickly, irritable response that someone might have if they've had a difficult time. And of course, not everyone who has a difficult time doesn't know love. But when they don't know love, then you need someone to help you find love. And that might be a mentor, a coach, a grandparent, someone that's going to champion you and that person so that they can be the difference in the world that they're meant to make. And it also on behalf of the person, they have to have a willingness to be different and to see the world differently. So you need a mentor and you need the willingness. When they come together, I absolutely believe that anyone can experience love. It's never too late, as you said. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, any other tips about love before we get into a recap? Uh, sometimes um, you can teach what you most need to learn. So the learning goes both ways. The unconditional love of a grandchild, it softens your heart and reminds you of the purity of heart that's within all of us. So be open to love. Um, begin to see it all around you. Smile when you see people holding hands and when you hear a child giggle, um, respond to it. So when you look for love, you'll see it everywhere. And when you recognise it, take a moment to take it into your heart and I like to try to teach my grandchildren that sometimes put your hand on your heart and to feel that love that you've just seen because love is like a vibration. So you can feel it when you're around people that are really cuddly and loving. It's a warm, cosy feeling. That's what I really love. That would be my tip would be to look for it everywhere and respond to it. 
Yeah, no, good point. Uh, you mentioned smile. I mean, it's amazing the importance of just a smile. I mean, I go power walking uh, each morning and uh, you get to know people or faces. You don't know their names, but just a smile and people often reciprocate with a smile back. It means a lot, even if you're not saying anything. What a wonderful way to start the day. Isn't it wonderful when you're smiling at people on your walk? Same absolutely. Love it. I absolutely love it. And when we had the masks on over COVID, I would put my hand up in a hello as well as smile with my eyes so that people could be really clear I was definitely smiling. Yeah, no, it means, it means a lot. And not everyone's comfortable with it. Some people look down and that's fine. You're respectful of other people's wishes. But uh, personally, I like that, that contact, even though I don't know these people's names. Um, just a smile, and I often see them uh, each morning. It's a wonderful, as, as you said, a wonderful way to start the day. It's beautiful and it's heartwarming. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed since COVID more people smiling than before. Would you have noticed that? I have actually. I, yeah, I saw a lot of good behaviour, especially in Melbourne. And we went through a very long lockdown, 112 days, and it was difficult for a lot of people. But I, I did notice a lot of really good behaviour from people. I did too. Definitely I did. In fact, you know, on the path where I walk, um, people would step to the side while you were passing if they had a, a, a dog and they you didn't want to be too close, you know, like really kind sort of ways to be saying to people, I care for you. Yeah, no, exactly right. Uh, Robin, uh, some of the main points to come from uh, this uh, podcast about grandparents' special love. Mm-mm. Uh, Let me pull it together a little bit then. Um, Be imaginative and deliberate. So in the loving games that you play with children, however you're going to play with them is how they're going to be in the world because when you're in play with a child, that is their world. So you're teaching them how to be. So making sure that that's loving. Be forgiving of mistakes that they make because grandchildren make a lot of mistakes while learning. And they don't get it once. They have to get it 10 times or 20 times. And being patient enough to keep teaching that same thing that you want them to learn. So for me, I imagine what values that I want my grandchildren to acquire over life. And then I begin to teach them. If I want them to be patient or learn how to wait or be kind, then we might practice that for the next week. So a different value including love, compassion, humility, and then taking your grandchildren on walks where you can see love and letting the joy of grandchildren wash over you and bring meaning to your life because I I can't even explain how much meaning my grandchildren have been. So I'd probably finish, David, on be love and see love and take it into your heart. Beautiful. No, it is a great time for grandparents and their grandchildren. I think it's a, a special bond that you can have and, uh, yeah, and it lasts with you for a lifetime. Robin, thank you again for uh, your time and uh, good luck with the sixth grandchild coming up shortly. <laughs> thank you. I'm so excited. Yes. I bet, I, I bet you are. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye.